we're, we're in a series called The Story. So if you're, let me, let me, for people that are maybe visiting tonight, maybe you're part of our online community, let's just take a couple of minutes to catch them up, what's happening, do a little recap, do a little intro, and then we'll get into the, to the meat of what we're going to be, be talking about tonight. Let, let me share this statement that, um, that, that kind of launched us out last week. Each, each of us shares the same deep, deepest desire to know God and to be known by him, right? That's the core of who we all are. This series is about reminding us all that the more time we spend in the story, in the scriptures, the more time we spend in the story, the more we come to know God and feel known by him, right? So this series is about many things, but first and foremost is that you're going to come, I hope, out of the other side of it with a greater desire to spend time in God's word and that there's going to be a deeper sense of intimacy that you have with him. So each week that we have in our, in our sermon is a standalone unto itself, yes, but it's also setting up what's coming the following Wednesday. And so last Saturday, we did session one, which is based on what's called the story series, which takes the Bible, everything in this, this book called the story is actual scripture, and then they've abridged it, they've, they've put some things, they've taken some things out and given some things emphasis, so it reads like a novel from start to finish, but, but it's actual text from the Bible that's in there. So last week we did session one, which was the first 11 chapters of the Bible. The, tonight we're doing session 22, because we're, we're, we're not going to do it the whole year, we're just doing a piece of it to introduce this resource to you. Tonight we're jumping to the Gospels. So session 22 is about Jesus coming into the world. And then each Wednesday is a follow-up to the Saturday. And we do that when we do that on Wednesday night here at the church down in the cafe from 6:30 to 8. There is a uh, youth service for middle school and high school and then we provide free childcare also for you. And so we hope it's not too late to jump in. You with me? So if you missed last week, that's okay. You can come this, this Wednesday. If you're not able to join us on Wednesday, you can get all of these resources yourself. You can track with the rest of the church because all the videos are on YouTube and they're free. So you can ask access that. You can Google The Story, say Session 22, if you want to follow along with us from your home. So we're going to just keep throwing that up each week. Next week, uh, Pastor Vanessa is going to be sharing Session 23. And then the week after that is, is Pastor Justin. So we're doing a, a little bit of a team teach here. So last week, we introduced you to this idea of sin and forgiveness. So let's keep doing a little bit of recap, catching people up. We have a sin problem, regardless of where he puts us. The Garden of Eden, a perfect place. Regardless of how many chances he gives us, second chances, that was no one, the Ark of the Covenant. Regardless of how many rules he teaches us, right? The birthing of a nation through Abraham and eventually giving the Mosaic Law to Moses, all the rules that we're supposed to follow. We have a sin problem. But there's hope because God has a grace promise for our sin problem. From, from, from the beginning of Scripture, God is pointing us to the reality that one day Jesus will come and die for the sins of the world. God's plan was never to create a perfect person or a perfect place. Right? We, we don't support that theological point of view that, that God's intention was to create people without sin and put them in a place that would never have sin. And then Adam and Eve somehow messed all that up. And then God had to have a crisis intervention meeting right, with his crisis team in heaven and come up with plan B. Right? We don't believe that because it infringes on the sovereignty of God. God's plan was never to create a perfect person or a perfect place. His plan was to create a perfect relationship with imperfect people. That's you and me who come from imperfect places. And that relationship is made possible through grace. 
Can, can that not just be one of our favorite words? That relationship is made possible through grace, which is unmerited forgiveness. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We're going to be talking a little bit about that tonight. Unmerited forgiveness obtained through substitutionary sacrifice. The grace that God is able to afford to us is because Jesus died on the cross for you and me 2,000 years ago. Sin and forgiveness, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, I would argue that's the major theme that drives through all those texts. Tonight we're going to do heaven to earth. Somebody say heaven to earth. When you think about the significance of Jesus being born into this world, it's, it's pretty important. Can we agree on that? But very little of the attention of the Bible is given to it. When the Holy Spirit was inspiring people to write the story of Jesus' life, we know right, it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? That's why it's called the four gospels, the good news of the life of Jesus. The, these, these four men were chosen by God, and the Holy Spirit inspires them. Mark does not talk about the birth of Jesus at all. Just skips right over it. And then in Matthew, we see that he only gives it two chapters. Luke gives it two chapters. John only gives it 14 verses. Right? It's, it's, it's the hinge point of all of Scripture, but yet textually there's, there's just not a lot of content that is given there. I don't know about you, but... I've got a running list I keep, right, of things that I want to know when I get to heaven. Right? And that's part of it is, is I'll, tell, tell me, I want to know the story of what it was like when Jesus was growing up. Give me all the things that the Bible has left out. But then there's another way to look at the story of the coming of Jesus. If we just look at the text in the New Testament, then it might be that from God's perspective that we're missing the point. Because I would argue that God started talking about Jesus coming right in Genesis. And then he begins to really dive into telling us about the coming of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. There are over 60 prophecies that get really specific about how we're supposed to recognize the Messiah. And Isaiah has a lot of them. One of them comes in Isaiah 7:14 that talks about that one day a virgin will give birth to a child, right? This is a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. The story of the coming of Christ starts thousands of years before he actually comes. If, if you've never read Isaiah 53, you should read that. When, when you read it, you're gonna feel like surely this was written after Jesus' life, and they pulled all the biographical information of Jesus to write this chapter. But no, a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, we have Isaiah 53. The Bible starts talking about Jesus right from the very beginning. From the moment of Jesus' birth, even the circumstances leading up to his birth, every moment fulfilled one of the 60 Major prophecies found in the Old Testament. Let me read that part again. Every moment fulfilled one of the 60 major prophecies found in the Old Testament. From Genesis to Malachi, it keeps repeating this one phrase, Jesus is coming to save the world. This is by Peter Stoner, if you're one of my math people in the room, the two or three people that are out there. 
Professor Peter Stoner in a, in a publication called Science Speaks, I like to share this every, every now and again just to, to give us some, some of the, the uh, 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 an appreciation for the statistical possibility of Jesus fulfilling all 60 of these major prophecies. The probability that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth could have even filled just eight, right? So there's 60. The probability that he would have just fulfilled eight of the major prophecies of the Old Testament is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you're not a math person, that's that number. I don't even know what that number is. Nathaniel Miller in here somewhere can tell us. We'll find him after the service, right? What the, the, that, that's a big number. One in 10 to the 17th power. Now, let me, let me in, in, in uh, Professor Peter Stoner, he, he gives us this analogy. That number, just to help you appreciate it, that probability is the same as if we covered the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. All of Texas, I mean all of it, right? Which it needs something, because if you've ever been there, it's flat. It's Texas, you ever driven through Texas? You're like, oh, praise God for Virginia. Praise God for Virginia. Thank you, Nolan. If you covered all of Texas two feet deep, you with me, of silver dollars, that's a lot of silver dollars, and then you took a person and you blindfolded them, and you sent them out of Dallas, and, and, and you told them at some point as you're walking around, bend down and pick up one silver dollar. And of all those silver dollars that are covering the entire state of Texas that are two feet deep, one of them is pre-marked. Let's, let's pretend we've drilled a hole through it. This, the statistical possibility of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 60 prophecies would be the equivalent to that blindfolded person leaving Dallas and the first time they bend over and the first silver dollar they pick up is the one that's marked. You, you with me? And yet Jesus fulfilled all 60. I think God, from the beginning of time, said, I'm going to make it impossible for people to not recognize who he is. I'm going to make it impossible. I'm going to wait so long in coming because I want to build such a road sign in life that points people to Jesus that it will be impossible for them to miss him but yet that's exactly what happened in the story, and it's still happening today. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. I want to read these first 14 verses. And in these 14 verses, what we find is these, these four ideas or these four themes about Jesus that are important to us about, in Christianity. The first one is this. I want to read the first five. It says, In the beginning... The Word, which is referring to Jesus himself, already existed. This is important. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And he existed in the beginning with God, which means, which is pointing back to the creation narrative, which we spent a little time in last week, that Jesus was there. God created everything through him. So Jesus had a hand in creating the world. And nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is central to what we believe about Jesus. We believe in what we call the divinity of Christ. He's not just a prophet. He's divine. He shares in the divine nature with the Father and the Spirit. The, the pre-existence of Christ matters because out of every other world religion, there, there is a central figure in that religion. 
And every one of those central figures got their start in life just like you and I did. There was a point in time in history where they did not exist, and then at conception they did exist, but not true for Jesus. Jesus existed in the world before he was born here in human flesh. In fact, because we believe about the divinity of Christ, we would say that he has no beginning and he has no end. We believe in what's called the pre-existence of Jesus. This is the beginning of John's gospel. He wants us to understand the unique nature of who Jesus is. And then we pick up in verse 6. Let me read to 9. It says, God, God sent a man named John the Baptist to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The biggest dramatic pause in all of history is the 400 years of prophetic silence that exists between the, the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament and Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. There's 400 years of prophetic silence in Israel. God did that for a reason. John the Baptist broke that prophetic silence. John the Baptist broke that prophetic silence for one purpose and one person only to say that Jesus has now come. This was all part of God's plan so that none of us, not then and not now, could have an excuse to say, you know, God, you could have done a better job of pointing him out to us. If you had worked a little bit harder, then maybe people would have believed. God did everything possible so that we could know who he is. Then look at verses 10 and 11. It says, he came into the very world he created. He made it, and now he has entered into it in a created natural body, fully God but fully man. Listen to what it says. The world did not recognize him. Verse 11, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. He, he has been a part of the story of history from the beginning of time. And, and even then, he was unrecognizable to his own people. Right? So if it were me, in that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to kill all of you. Right? You're, you're, you're Really? This is your response to me? Right? This is what we say sometimes to our children. Oh, I brought you into this world. I will take you out of it. Right? That, that could have been his attitude. His attitude could have been, I brought all of this into existence. Father, I'm out. Boom. I'm going to destroy it all. But that was not his posture towards us. Even though that's what we deserved. Even though maybe sometimes we still deserve it today. L listen to what it says in verse 12 and 14. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Which, which means that he had to be willing to wait through the rejection to change their mind so that they might come to him, the grace that he gives. To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes 
from God. So the Word became human. This is Jesus, right? Pre-existed. Now he's in the world, fully human, fully divine. So the Word became human and made his home among us. The incarnation of Christ, if you want to use a theological term. Made his home among us. He was, listen to this, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I I like how another translation renders it. It says that he was full of both grace and truth. Because those two things are not in opposition with each other. It's not as though in order to be gracious, we can't tell the truth. And and then when we, we tell the truth, it's not permission to not be gracious. Jesus always brought truth, but that truth always carried with it grace because his goal was to reconcile us to the Father. We deserve his judgment, and yet it is his forgiveness that he offers, and it cost him something. In fact, we would say it cost him everything. See, we have to remember his plan was not to create a perfect relationship His plan was not to create a perfect people in a perfect place. His plan was to create a perfect relationship with imperfect people who come from imperfect places. And that relationship is made possible through grace. Unmerited forgiveness obtained through substitutionary sacrifice by his own choosing. So these are the three phrases that I feel like God gave to me for tonight. The first one is show up show up. In Philippians 2, 1 through 7, as Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, he, he, he challenges us. He, he says to us, we have a responsibility to follow Jesus' example. We, we have a responsibility to, to do for one another what Jesus has done for us. Not, not in the sense to die for other people's sins. That doesn't need to be done because Jesus has already done it. But there is something about the example of Christ that we're supposed to carry forward into this world. We call it here at City Life Church, we call it incarnational living. Meaning that in the same way that Jesus showed up for us, we've got to be willing to show up for other people. Philippians 2, 1 through 7 goes as far to say that we are supposed to think of other people as more highly than ourselves. How are we doing for that? How are we doing? Let's check your Facebook page right now just to see how you're doing with that. You with me? Do, 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 are we posturing ourselves in a way where we, we, our, our, our instinct is to think of other people as more highly? It's not my instinct, but it needs to be. How about you? Are, are we willing to show up in people's lives? Here it comes. Pull your toes into your shoes a little bit. Are we willing to show up in people's lives and people's circumstances regardless of whether or not they deserve it. I do a really good job of showing up in people's lives when they deserve it. My heart does not naturally lean towards showing up for people that are undeserving. Are we willing to show up in people's lives and people's circumstances regardless of whether or not they deserve it? Regardless, here it comes, of who is right and who is wrong. If showing up incarnationally based on who is right and who is wrong, if that was the standard, Jesus would have never come to this earth. 
In fact, it's because we were wrong and because we didn't deserve it, that's why he came. Is that what we do for others? Regardless of who is right, regardless of who is wrong, are we willing to show up for others the way that Jesus has showed up for us? Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love toward us. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this is what we're going to do. Madeline's going to come. This isn't the end of the service, so don't get excited. We're still going to do the other two. But I just, I, I, I didn't want to move past this moment too quickly. We're going to take like the next three minutes. All right, you can just stay seated. If you want to kneel, if you want to come to the altar, you can do that too. I'm going to kneel right here. It is that every one of us, listen to this is important. If you're, if you're watching online, listen to me, hear my voice. Every single one of us has at least one person in our lives that we're supposed to show up for. I was telling somebody before the service about this moment. I'm not going to use Chuck Jordan's name. You're welcome. He said, Fred, it's not a matter of God giving me the name of a person. He's got to pick one off of my long list. I was like, yeah, I got a list like that too. Who's the person that God wants to say to you? I want you to show up for them. Not because they deserve it. Not because they're right. Not because they owe you an apology and you're coming because you hope you're going to get one. But who are you supposed to show up for in the same way that Christ has showed up for you? Let's take these next three minutes and as you, as you pray, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit. So some, some, some of you already know who it is. And then you're going to begin to pray about how you can make it happen. And I'm going to give you some pointers in just a minute. Let's worship and pray together. Yeah. 
Jesus, we pray for ourselves, for the person that you're supposed to send us to, that we would show up the way that you showed up for us, full of grace and truth. In Christ's name, come on, and people said, amen. Let me, let me just give you a few clarifiers. I didn't give you these first because I didn't want you to have a cop-out for the person you're supposed to go to. You with me? Yeah, I'm tricky that way. Emotional well-being matters. Right? We're, not, we're not talking about put, putting yourself at risk. If, if the person you feel like that God is sending you to put you, puts, puts you in a place where you're not emotionally safe, then I would say then that's not the person you're supposed to go to right? because your well-being matters to God. Timing matters. When, when God talks to me about these things, right, I respectfully remind him it took Jesus thousands of years to finally come to save us. So I might be on that time clock with some of the people on my list. No, I, I, I say that in jest, meaning that timing matters, right? So who and when are two different things. From the foundation of the earth, God knew that Jesus was going to come, and so did he. But when he came was different. So who, who God is showing you, there might be some wisdom that you need to bring for when it's going to be that you're going to be sent, the counsel of others matters. If, if, if the, these things are kind of new for you, then you've got to be willing to find someone who's a little bit farther along than you are spiritually and invite them into your conversation. You with me? And get some good advice. Healthy boundaries matter. Not every relationship is ultimately ever going to be reconciled. Right? This is important. In Titus 3, 10 through 11, Paul himself says to Titus, Titus, I'm telling you, churches are, there's some troublemakers in churches sometimes. He says, warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time, and then third after that, have nothing to do with them. Right? So, so healthy boundaries matter. Not every relationship is supposed to. What we're not supposed to do is use that as an excuse to mean that we will never step into an incarnational moment with anyone ever. At some point, there's going to be people that we're called to, to step to show up for the same way that Jesus showed. Somebody say, buckle up. How many of you have seen the, the YouTube video where they take a watermelon? We should do this on Wednesday for, for Revolution Church. You, they take a watermelon and they start to put rubber bands on it. Anybody ever seen this? They put one rubber band on it. And you're like, okay, what's that going to do? Yeah, nothing. Then they put another rubber band on it and another rubber band on it and another rubber band on it and another rubber band on it. And eventually there are so many rubber bands on the watermelon, it looks like it's wearing a rubber band belt. And at some point, there's a rubber band that goes onto the watermelon, boom, and the watermelon explodes. No, it's real. Can one rubber band do that? No. But can a lot of rubber bands do that? Clearly it can. I share that because have we grown up with too much teaching on God not burdening us ever? Have we grown up with too much teaching on God not burdening us when the evidence strongly suggests, I would argue, to the contrary? What we know is that God never puts the last rubber band on. You with me there? You got the imagery in your head? He's like, oh, let's not put another one on there. That's not going to be good. We have conflated that with he never puts any rubber bands on us. Because he doesn't put the last one on doesn't mean that he doesn't put some on. If you've spent time reading in Scripture, you know 
that there are a lot of people that we look at their story and we say, you know, that really just doesn't seem fair. So many times God takes people right to the last rubber band. He never never puts on us more than we can bear, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't put anything on us at all. See, see, I think part of the, if we, let's call them the Christmas verses, because a lot of times we don't dig around in these texts except for Christmas, right? When we dig around in these Christmas verses, what we find is that, that, that Jesus says, through the example of my coming, you're supposed to show up in other people's lives. I showed it for you, you show up for other people with grace and truth. And what it also tells us is buckle up. There's, there's, there's going to be hardship that accompanies your journey. We, 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 the children's Christmas pageants, we've all seen them, right? They're precious. The part of the Christmas pageant that we don't show and should not, I'm not making light of it, is that when God sent angels to Mary and Joseph so they could flee to Egypt, we don't include in the story about how Herod came in after and killed all the male babies under two years old within a certain geographic region trying to kill Christ. It, it seems like when we read that part of the story, that they, those families had to bear a burden that was too great so Jesus could get free. Right? There's some parts of the stories of the Bible that we look at and we see. It seems to appear that people are asked to carry something weighty for the story that God is writing to be told in the world Can we just agree that we are part of the story? Which means that there's going to be weighty things that he asks us to carry. And can I just argue with you just this point for a moment that that's one of the reasons why having a church family is so important. That we need to put the full weight of our lives on Jesus, but but we also need to put the full weight of our lives on one another. Galatians 6 talks about bearing one another's burdens. Do you have people that are close enough to you in your life who can help bear the burdens and the hardships that you carry. If if you're in a season where it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, then then my encouragement to you is reach out. Don't hide that and stuff it down. Find someone that you can trust, that you can ask them. You can begin to talk about the weight that you carry. There is hardship. There is weightiness. He's never going to put on us more than what we can handle. But there is weightiness and hardship that's waiting for us in this life. The last one is this, open up. So there's show up, there's buckle up, and there's open up. When we look at these Christmas verses... Right? We're supposed to show up incarnationally for other people in the same way that Jesus showed up for us. We're, buckle up. Part, part of the, the story of the birthing of Christ is reminding us that there's going to be hardship in this life. Weighty things, grievous things, they're going to be part of our journey. The last one is this I would give to you is open up. Open up. Let me reread John 1, 10 through 11. John 1, 10 through 11 reads this way. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. They didn't recognize Jesus 2,000 years ago when he came. 
because they had a lot of preconceived ideas and notions that they had developed along the way that had nothing to do with Scripture, that they had created their own version of who the Messiah was supposed to be and what he was supposed to do. So when the actual Messiah showed up, they didn't even know who he was. And even though they pretended as though they drew all of that out of Scripture, we know that none of it came from there. Because if all their ideas and understanding about the coming of the Messiah was based on Scripture, then they would have known exactly who he was from the beginning, as did those early followers who left everything to follow him. You and I are not so unlike the people 2,000 years ago who didn't recognize Jesus can I just press you a little bit more tonight? You're like, no, you can't. You've put enough rubber bands around my watermelon already. If you've not changed your mind about anything in the last, let's say, five to ten years, I mean nothing of significance, then chances are you've got some false thinking that you've bought into about life and Christianity and community and people that God wants to change. See, see, part of these Christmas verses is challenging us to open up, to, to be willing to let Jesus step into our lives and say, you know what? You need to change your mind about this. C can we agree that the people, that, that, that so many of them that rejected Jesus, they, they did so because they were absolutely convinced they were right and they were wrong about the most important thing in their life. Let me give you this quick little list here. All of us have these. All of us. Beliefs that aren't true. Opinions that are too narrow. Right? One of my spiritual gifts is opinionating. I know that belongs to some of you too. Don't pretend like it doesn't. Opinions that are too narrow. Well, why? I put that one after beliefs, right? We, we, some beliefs are absolute, right? Every, it's always right. It's always wrong for all of time, for all people, Right? But there's some things that, that it's based on matters of conscience. Paul talks about this. They're, they're opinions, they're preferences that we have. And sometimes we take our preferences, opinions, and we want to apply them to everyone. Opinions that are too narrow. Blame that is misplaced. Entitlements masquerading as, as expectations. We love this one as Christians. We're in Ephesians 3.20 church. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or imagine. So we live with this sense of expectancy, but if we are not careful, there, there is a condition of the heart that slips into this place of entitlement that says in a nice way to God, you owe this to me. But then we talk about it in Christianese that it's an expectation. Do we have entitlements masquerading as expectations, biases that hinder clarity? We all have biases, every single one of us through the lives that we've lived, the families that we've grown up in, the cultures that we have been immersed in, all carry biases that we have. And part of this journey in life is, is trying to peel those things back. So, so, so many. If we were to take all the Pauline epistles, right, after Acts and then moving through, and then you have some smaller epistles that are written by like, by, by like Peter and, and, and John, can I argue with you that vast majority of all of those letters are written because churches had problems with these five things? And they were, they were working to correct them. All of us need to be willing to open up 
to the false thinking that, that, that robs us of some of the things that Jesus is trying to help us see about ourselves and about others. I, I would challenge you that, that the, more, the, listen, the more you open up, the more ready you are to buckle up, and the more willing you're going to be to show up. Right? If, if we put these things in the opposite direction, the more we're willing to open up for Jesus to change the way we... That's why in, in Romans 12, Paul talks about the renewing of our minds, changing the way that we think. The more prepared we're going to be for the hardships that we have to carry, and the more more willing we're going to be to be incarnational to others in the way that Jesus was to us to show up in the lives of people who we would say are undeserving with grace and truth. Stand with me. I'm going to invite the keys to come up. We do this welcome home moment every Every Saturday here at City Life, just we, we, we had some sense in the beginning of the year that this was just going to be a year for people, whether they're part of our online community somewhere around the world or whether they're in this room, that, that every weekend that God was going to lead people to this place who, who had yet to hear what the gospel is really about. And you heard me reference it a little bit earlier at the launch of this series that all of us are born into this world with the same deep desire. And that's to know God and to be known by Him. All of us share that deep, deep hunger, deep within our hearts. And, 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 and that's a dilemma for us because we're born into this world separated from Him. And, and, and then, if, if you're honest about your life, we all have regrets, things that we shouldn't have done, things that we should have done but didn't, that the Bible calls sin, and then that keeps us separated from God. And so here we are, we're, there's this longing inside of us to know God and be known by Him, but, but we're separated from Him. And the stakes are high because there's going to come a day when this life ends for you and me and we're going to step into a moment of judgment and it breaks our heart to think that that will be for some people the first time they ever have a sense of knowing God and being known by Him. And we want to change that as a church. And whether or not we think it's fair or not, God says that in His justice system, the smallest sin is worthy of eternal death. But here comes the good news. Jesus says, I'm the answer for all of that. A favorite verse of ours is 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He says to you and me that he will literally change us on the inside to give us new desires, that, that he gives us a new heart so there's something inside of us that wants to do the things that we're supposed to do and that doesn't want to do the things that we're not supposed to do. But even then, we're still not going to get it right. We're still going to make mistakes. And Jesus says, this is part of the good news, that's okay because my forgiveness isn't just for all that you've done. It's for everything that you're still going to do. He says, I'll forgive you even still for everything that's yet to come. It's part of the good news. So that one day when you and I stand before him on that day of judgment, there's no fear of condemnation. No fear of condemnation because we step into that moment as his child, having been born into his family under the forgiveness of Christ and his life that was laid down for us 2,000 years ago. And he says to you and to me, there's an invitation to enter into eternal life. We're sharing that every week because we want people to hear and in hearing they might believe. And in believing they might make what we call their own confession of faith. Or how we say it here at City Life, a vow of devotion to Christ. 
So I'm going to pray in just a minute. And as you look back into the story of your life, if you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, then maybe that's why you're here tonight. Maybe that's why you are tuning in somewhere around the world, is that tonight was about you for this moment. So I'm going to invite you to borrow my words, and you can make them their own. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son, that you died for my sins, and that you rose from the dead. So today I make a vow of devotion to you, to live for you for the rest of my days. That would you now come in and begin to change me on the inside. Give me a new heart. I accept the forgiveness that you freely give. And I live the rest of my days with the expectancy that heaven is promised to me because of the grace afforded to me through Jesus Christ. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Hey, in just a few moments, we're going to end the service, and there's going to be some people down here at the front. And if you're part of our online community, there's a button you can push to go into a private chat room, and one of our hosts would love to pray with you, and we can get some resources into your hands about what it means to follow Christ. Let me just share this thought in closing with the sermon tonight. In, in Luke chapter 2, at the, at the birth of Jesus, when the angels, the heavens opened and the shepherds were there, right? And, and it says that the angels were singing and the proclamation was this, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I, I want to end with that because we shared some weighty things tonight. And those things are important for us to understand and, and know. But, but, but I want to finish with this. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, that you would always know peace on earth, goodwill toward men meaning that God always has your best interest at heart. He always has. If there's anything that you can trust, you can trust in his goodness. And, 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 and when we trust in his goodness, it changes the way that we see even moments of hardship. Just, just this past Wednesday when we were here as part of our small group, after the, the small group was over, we were all just hanging out, and some of the kids came out of the nursery, and, and uh, they were running around, and then, and then they get to eat the leftover cookies. Come on, got to save a few cookies for the kids. And, 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 uh, and, and uh, Nathaniel and Shani's little boy had, had this big old, right, these cookies are so big, it's right, they can't even hold it with two hands. And, and, and so he's, I, I'm, he's all by himself, he had he'd just gone over, I, I don't even know if he's supposed to get a cookie, but that's part of the fun, right? I'm standing there. I block the parents' view so they can't see. And then I, I and then the kids can come and get all the cookies they want. And, and he's walking back. He drops his cookie on the floor. Boom! He's all by himself. And I'm waiting for the reaction, right? And then he gets the biggest smile on his face. True story. Biggest smile on his face. I was telling Shannon Nathaniel about this after Wednesday after. He picks it up, and I hear him say to himself, Now I got two cookies! Isn't that great? It's like, come on. It's an outlook on life some of us need. You with me? No matter what you're facing, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Even if it's tragic, God can use it to be a blessing to you. Father, I pray for every single person in this room. Whether, whether tonight was up about the person that needs to show up for somebody else, whether, whether tonight was about the person that needs to buckle up, they've, 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 they've been in a place of disappointment because they've lived their life under bad teaching that no hardship comes for Christians. 
Or, or maybe for others, tonight was about opening up. There's some false thinking that we need to turn over to you. But for all of us, for all of us, may those words rest on us for the rest of our days. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody sit together.